Hi, everyone. It's Nika, the founder of Urban Remedy, welcoming you to the You Are Love podcast, inspiring health through food, lifestyle, and making conscious choices. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the You Are Love podcast. Today, we have a topic that I am very passionate about and really excited to dive deep into today. And we are talking about homeopathic medicine and homeopathy with my personal homeopathist, my homeopathic doctor, Dana Ullman. He's one of America's leading advocates for homeopathy. He's written 10 books on homeopathy. Um, he's a best-selling author, and he has a new e-course on how to use homeopathy at home. And I'm sure there's a lot of other things, Dana, that I did not mention. But um, <laughs> when I was originally looking, um, I, I've been using homeopathy pretty much my whole life, and I love it. And then I kind of stopped, and I would do it a little on my own, and then some stuff was going on with my son. And so I was asking around, I'm like, who is the best homeopathist that I could find? And a few people all had the same answer, which was Dana Ullman. So that is how I connected with you. And thanks so much for being here. Well, I, I guess I can say I have the biggest and loudest mouth on homeopathy because I, I write, besides those 10 books, I, I write a lot of articles. I'm very passionate about homeopathy. And uh, I'm honored to be your homeopath, just for the record. Ah, well, I am so lucky. And um, so let's start out. I think, you know, one thing that I've gotten in so many debates with over, you know, with friends over the years is homeopathy. They'll be like, oh, what are you doing? Or I'll tell a story about how homeopathy has helped me. And they're like, that is just pseudo science that, you know, if homeopathy doesn't work. There's no medicine in it. So let's start out by, why don't you just tell the listeners, like, what, what is homeopathy? Sure. Homeopathy is a type of natural medicine that is practiced by, by physicians, medical doctors of various sorts, but a whole variety of other health and medical professionals, not nurse, nurse practitioners, chiropractors, naturopaths, veterinarians, and dentists. And then there's many things that any person, any mother or father can learn to use. And I write books to teach people how to do that. And as you mentioned, I even created an e-course on learning to use a homeopathic medicine kit. But homeopathy is based on the premise that symptoms of illness are not just something wrong with the person. Actually, those are the body and mind's defense to deal with infection, to deal with stress, to deal with toxic exposures. And for those of us that believe in evolution, and I hope and assume that is all of us, the symptoms that our body and mind creates are, the, are these defensive reactions. And the real big difference between homeopathy and conventional medicine philosophically is in conventional medicine, the assumption that whatever the body's doing, whatever symptoms the body is created, creating are wrong, that should be stopped. So if you have diarrhea, stop that thing from coming out. You know, right. If you have a cough, suppress that cough. And even the word symptom, however, tells us something different. The word symptom means sign or signal. And our symptoms are not something wrong. They're a signal that something is askew. But our symptoms actually are our body and mind's best effort based on hundreds of thousands of years of evolution to create that fever to burn out that infective organism, to have a diarrhea, to help eliminate the, the pathogens that are in our body, to reduce high blood pressure, not because that high blood pressure is a problem. It's, it's that our blood pressure has been 
increased to, due to a variety of different environmental factors, nutritional factors, some genetic factors, but there's a certain wisdom to it. So in homeopathy, the idea is, is that our symptoms are our defenses. And then instead of using a medicine that suppresses the defense, we look for a medicine that, based on research, and in fact, all of homeopathy is based on research on human subjects, not on animal subjects. And we find out what toxicological symptoms every plant, mineral, animal, or chemical we use causes. And then once you know what a substance causes, you can then in very, very small doses, and we'll talk about that later, uh, give a, this medicine, which helps stimulate the body's immune and defense system and initiate a healing response. So the very word homeopathy, if you were to break it apart, it comes from two Greek words, homeos, which means similar, and pathos, which means suffering or disease. And the idea is to find a medicine in nature that mimics the similar symptoms that the sick person is suffering from. I love that because it's it's kind of like what I've talked about in other podcasts. It's like our body has this innate ability to heal itself. And what you're talking about is, you know, our bodies give us symptoms or tell us when something's off. And it sounds like homeopathy helps to, you know, you listen to the symptoms of the body and helps to stimulate our body's own healing system, which is something that I love so that it can express itself rather than, you know, paste over it or take an aspirin for a fever and just reduce the symptom, but not actually treat the underlying cause. Absolutely. Remember, our body has that doctor inside of us. And, you know, we really would not be alive today if that doctor inside of us wasn't as magnificent of a healer. But this inner healer has limitations. Uh, and chronic disease is evidence of its limitations where our body and mind is trying to overcome something. So it has recurrent experiences of these symptoms. But the answer is rarely to suppress them. Uh, in fact, from a homeopathic point of view, the reason why we believe there's more mental illness today, the reason why there's more immune dysfunction today, the reason why there's more autoimmune dysfunction and cancers and these chronic diseases is, is that we have effectively suppressed acute ailments um, and turned these relatively minor ailments into then chronic diseases. Right. And do you think that's because, you know, in Western medicine, it's kind of like, and in our culture and our society, you know, we are kind of taught one to no that disease is kind of normalized when you see like commercials for like all these drugs. And, you know, you start seeing these as a kid. So you're like, oh, it's normal to take a pill for cancer, or take a pill for this side effect or that side effect or whatever. Um, but we're really not taught that our bodies are healing machines. You know, we're really not taught. We're kind of taught, like, go to the doctor and get a medicine or a pill to make you feel better. But we're really not taught how to be vibrantly healthy, you know, like you said, through like diet and lifestyle and emotional health and spiritual health, which is it's very sad. Right. Exactly. And, and in fact, from the conventional point of view, uh, they define science in such a narrow way. So I remember my father was a physician. He was a pediatrician and an allergist. And I, I visited him when I go down to L.A. And he had his medical journals on a stack uh, on his desk. And he circled one and he wrote in the, in the uh, 
in the margin the value of diarrhea. And oh, I go, wow. cool, the value of diarrhea, so, you know, respecting symptoms. And what this was was a study where they gave a bacteria to medical students who tend to be good subjects. And half of the, this, the uh, medical students were given a drug called Lomitol, which controls the peristalsis of the intestines and really does stop diarrhea in many ways. And the others were given a placebo. And they found that that drug worked. It did control the diarrhea. But that was the bad news, because as they, they went on to say, is they found that diarrhea was the way that the body was getting rid of the pathogen. Right. And that by maintaining the pathogen in the body, it was having bad effects upon the liver. It was enabling the bacteria to culture further and to cause different infection. And so, but if in a court of law, if you were to be, ask a doctor, does that drug stop diarrhea? the doctor would have to say, yes, it does stop the diarrhea. And of course, the lawyer for the prosecution would say, but but what symptoms does it create? And the judge would say, overruled. We're only asking the question, does it stop diarrhea? Mm-hmm. Nothing else. And you know, this reminds me about one of the vaccine issues. Um, I'm, I'm talking about the MMR, the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine. And um, you know, first of all, for the last 10, maybe even 20 years, there's not been a single death in America. Um, and that's not because of the vaccine. The, the deaths that have occurred from measles have been in children who are near starvation or have, or have virtually no fresh fruits and vegetables. And they're dying from an infection along with starvation because they found, according to a, an article in the New England Journal of Medicine, just one dose of vitamin A, just one dose of vitamin A were known to reduce the complication rate by 59%. But back to this issue about mumps and measles and rubella, the point that I wanted to get at, there was a study published in a major cardiology journal that showed that people that got mumps or measles and then later in life got a heart attack, they were more likely to survive the heart attack if they had the real disease rather than if they had the vaccination, because these childhood diseases, for those of us that believe in evolution, provide a beneficial immunological and cardiovascular benefit. So it's useful for our children to have these diseases. As a father myself, you know, I tried to get my son exposed to mumps, measles, and rubella. I just couldn't find it. Right. It's it's so hard to find now because everybody gets vaccinated. So it's really, yeah. I did find chickenpox for him and he suffered from chickenpox for a total of about 36 hours. I mean, it was so minor. It was so, you know, I can't believe that anyone is horrified about it. And to be to be honest, the same thing is commonly experienced with, with measles. It becomes a quite minor disease when you know how to treat it properly and you're, you're, it's experienced by a child that isn't near starvation. Right. I, I've heard the same thing about chicken pox. I heard that they did a study and found that kids who have, who were exposed to chicken pox or had chicken pox had less um, brain, brain cancer. Tumor. Oh yeah. Brain, brain tumor later in life. Brain tumors. That's right. So do I want my son to have a couple of days of chicken pox so that it can prevent brain cancer later in life? Yeah, baby. Yeah we don't have to get into the COVID situation, but it's like, you know, we, 
you know, I think as parents, we just are so, you know, people get so scared about their kids getting sick. And, you know, we there's a lot of like fear around childhood diseases. And so, um, you know, I think it's, we don't have a lot of that information, but it'd be really interesting if there was like some sort of analysis, which I'm sure is out there, like if your kids get this, these diseases, these are the benefits for the immune system. But we do know that, you know, like the gut microbiome is a good, um, example of that. It's like the more bacteria that we're exposed to, the stronger our microbiome is. And so it's just kind of the same theory as being exposed to colds and things like that. It strengthens our immune system. It's like a natural vaccine for, you know, the next strain or the next or whatever the benefit of that is. So Dana, can you go a little bit deeper into the basis of how homeopathy works? You explained a little bit about like treating like, but, um, can you give us a little deeper explanation, please? Sure, sure. Well, on one level, I, I want to make it clear that the first scientist to ever win the Nobel Prize in medicine did so for discovering the tetanus vaccine and the diphtheria vaccine. And according to him, he got the idea not from the smallpox tests, but from Samuel Hahnemann, the founder of homeopathy. And he said that he could never have mentioned that before getting the Nobel Prize, but now that he's won the Nobel Prize, he can come clean with it. So it, it's in a, the whole idea behind vaccines is derived from the principle of similars that's at the basis of homeopathy. And then even ironically or cosmically, my father's medical specialty beyond pediatrics was the treatment of allergy. And allergy is also based on giving small doses of what people are allergic to, to help build up the person's immune and defense system. So on one hand, this principle of similars is used as a preventive tool, and another is used as a treatment tool. So yes, we do that in homeopathy. But even more than that, uh, in homeopathy, we use plants, minerals, animals, chemical, chemicals, snake venoms, and spider poisons. But because they're made in, in, with a specific precision that, re, that involves a process of diluting and shaking and diluting and shaking, and at first blush, the idea of diluting the tincture of a plant or the, the snake, a snake venom, 1 to 10 or 1 to 100, and then each, after each dilution, it's vigorously shaken in a, a double distilled water. Uh, and what, what a double distilled water is, is it's distillation twice. So it's the highest grade of water, of pure water. And uh, what we find is, is that the more they, a medicine undergoes this dilution and, and vigorous shaking in between each dilution, the more powerful the medicine acts, the longer it acts, and the less doses are needed. And once again, at first blush, this is where, you know, all of our friends who are skeptics of, of alternative medicine, let alone homeopathy, scratch their head and say, this is too dilute. But actually, let's talk about some science of it. Uh, the American Chemistry Society has this journal called Langmuir, which is like one of the top scientific journals in the world. And they published a, series, a, a study uh, that a, a series of scientists conducted on six different metal remedies, gold, silver, copper, tin, zinc, and platinum. And they diluted them one to a hundred, six times, 30 times, and 200 times. 
And they found that no matter how many times they did this process of diluting and shaking, using three different types of spectroscopy, which is this modern equipment that can find nanoparticles in very small dilutions, and they were able to find these uh, medicines in these nanodoses. And the explanation is actually quite obvious uh, once you really understand it. And here it is, briefly. Once you dilute a substance in, uh, uh, and, and you put it in water and in a test tube and you shake it vigorously, that substance, as it's being shaken 40 times, blanches against the side walls of that test tube. And although we initially thought that glass was inert, it isn't. And they found that six parts per million of silica fragments fall off the glass walls. And because of the turbulence of the water, whatever you're making into a medicine is pushed into the, the, the silica fragments. So then when you dump out 90 or 99% of the, the water solution, a lot of the fragments just cling to the glass walls. So what ends up happening is, is this process of diluting and shaking keeps breaking down that plant, mineral, animal, or chemical into smaller and smaller units. But you always maintain a small amount of it. And the process of the turbulence of the water creates its own magnetic field for the substance. So, in fact, conventional scientific research on gold finds that nanoparticles of gold become magnetic. Once again, this isn't homeopathic research. This is conventional, what's called material sciences research. The bottom line is, is that these nanodoses are then therefore able to penetrate cellular membranes and blood-brain barriers. And then once it's inside the cell, once it's inside the brain, there's more sensitive factors that then alert the, the body's immune system that our body has been infiltrated by this unusual substance. And just to give you some clarity of medical history, homeopathy became popular in the 19th century for one reason more than any other. And that was the results that homeopaths experienced, the spectacular results that homeopaths experienced in treating the infectious disease epidemics of that day and age. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about cholera, yellow fever, scarlet fever, uh, typhoid fever, you know, infectious diseases that you know, are so much more serious than, than COVID because they attacked healthy people. The yellow fever and scarlet fever is very, very different. I was reading on, um, I think it was the Weston Price, um, they were talking about homeopathy and they were saying the mortality rate of people um, for the Spanish flu, for the medicines they had available then, the, the orthodox medicine, it was uh, like 28% in comparison to the people that were treated by homeopathy had a mortality rate of 1%. I never... That is actually true. And further, you know, the one city in America that had the best results was New York City. Oh, and the wow. reason why New York City had the best results was their health commissioner was a medical doctor who was a homeopath. Oh, wow. In fact, this guy was so beloved that FDR became his campaign manager when he ran for the U.S. Senate, and he won the Senate seat three times in a row. And he ended up writing the legislation that was some of the most important consumer rights legislation in uh, American history called the Federal Food, Drugs, and Cosmetics Act of 1938, 
We are all, uh, all Americans were taught this fact, you know, in, in uh, civics class in uh, high school. And Royal Copeland was his name. He was a, a medical doctor, an ophthalmologist, and a homeopath. And so he really encouraged two things. He encouraged homeopathy, and he discouraged people from taking aspirin. Because get this, in 1917, aspirin went off patent, making it a cheap drug. And because it was thought to be such a wonder drug that got rid of pain and because it lowered fever, that actually created more problems than it helped because believe it or not, the AMA recommended people take 25 aspirin tablets a day. Oh my God. And what was unusual about the 1918 flu is people died from bleeding in their lungs. And what drug do we know that causes bleeding? Well, aspirin for one. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That is incredible that that's how the FDA started. I never knew that. And what a change has happened. I've heard that Cuba, um, because of, you know, everything that's happened there politically, uses a very high amount of homeopathy in their medical system. No, actually, they don't use a lot of homeopathy, but they did uh, use it in this one instance. Uh, Leptospermosis is a uh, disease that uh, is known to uh, affect many Cubans on a yearly basis. And so at one point, you know, some people were looking for a cheap, safe method of reducing this particular infection. And they did a test uh, using homeopathy and they treated three million people. And that was the year that the country experienced the lowest rate of of leptospermosis. But sadly, you know, You know, Cuba is not as enlightened as I'd like it to be. Um, And so they haven't replicated this. They haven't even tried to replicate this. Uh, And um, there's a small group of physicians there that do homeopathy. And because of COVID, they have developed this combination remedy to help treat people with COVID. But, um, you know, most of us in America think, that COVID is a condition that needs more individualized treatment based on each person's unique set of symptoms. Because although there are certain symptoms that a lot of people experience, this fatigue, this headache, this you know, stuffy nose and a dry cough, um, sometimes a loss of taste, sometimes a loss of smell, but there's a lot of idiosyncratic symptoms that each person gets. And it is even different from country to country. So in homeopathy, we do an individualized approach. That said, there is one remedy that I don't want to say is good for COVID. I don't, I can't and wouldn't say that. But the, for anyone out there that takes zinc supplements, you do so because you're smart. Because what zinc does is zinc uh, helps activate this hormone that our body creates called thymulin. And thymulin is responsible for creating T-cells. And T-cells are the most important way that your immune system fights viral infection. The problem, however, is is our body doesn't absorb zinc very well. So the trick is is that you really need to take something like quercetin Mm -hmm. or uh, ivermectin 
or hydroxychloroquine, all of those are what are called zinc ionophores, which means they are specific substances, medicines, that help your body absorb zinc. Well, in homeopathy, we do it a different way. We give a homeopathic dose of thymulin. So, I mean, that's our strategy. I don't want to say it's, quote, for any uh, specific infective agent, but, you know, it's what we do to help strengthen a person's immune and defense system. To boost the immune system. All right. Well, I'm going to take my dose right now. Thank you. H-Y-M-U-L-I-N-E. <laughs> <laughs> Dana, what about um, the use of homeopathy? I don't know if it's true, but I have read it a few times that um, the royal family has been using homeopathy for you know a really long time. Oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, the royal physician has written the foreword of two of the books. Two different royal physicians have done that. Um, so, two of your yeah, two of your books. Two of the ten books I've written. Oh, cool. And, and they've never written a foreword for any other book. So it, it's not that they commonly write forwards for books. They don't. Uh, so I've been really honored. One of my more recent book was a book called The Homeopathic Revolution. And the subtitle was Why Famous People and Cultural Heroes Chose Homeopathy. And this is a book that tells the story of 11 uh, American presidents, dozens of other world leaders, I mean, leaders of countries, mind you, seven different popes, and then leads heads of religion of many different uh, religious sects, virtually all the Eastern gurus, you know, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Muslim rabbis. Uh, but then my, some of my favorite chapters are on famous physicians and scientists that used homeopathy, including Charles Darwin. Uh, major corporate leaders and philanthropists like J.D. Rockefeller, uh, literary greats, sports superstars. And so each page basically has this amazing story from people that you know and, and respect and what did it take for them to be to be at the height of their the performance scale to do whatever they need to do. Um, homeopathy played a role. That's so, so cool. Uh, I'm really proud of that book. So the royal family has been under homeopathic treatment since the 1830s. It's been that integral as a part of, of their respect. And the Queen of England is no new age chick, needless to say. No uh, way. She's not. Yeah, yeah by, by definition, I guess. Um, and, and they've considered homeopathy an integral part of their tradition. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I love the most about homeopathy is that, you know, I don't do well taking a lot of stuff and I'm super sensitive to medications and even taking herbs. And the thing that I, I love about homeopathy is that it's it's worked for me so well and I've ne there's no side effects. I mean, I think that like when you look at the the number of side effects there are for commonly prescribed drugs in the United States, I think it's like the third or fourth cause of death. Um, in the United States is properly prescribed medications. And with homeopathy, there's really, um, unless you maybe have like a little healing crisis, which, you know, it right. is no comparison to like a side effect. Um, that's the most amazing part of the medicine to me is that it's so gentle yet so powerful. Well, you know, here, here's the thing. I, I like to say that conventional medicines actually don't have any side effects. But let me explain that. Okay. There's a drug called Benadryl that's used for a lot of people with allergies. And one of the side effects, quote unquote, 
is that it makes people sleepy. So drug companies, in their infinite wisdom to make money, market the drug under a different name, the same chemical, for people who have difficulty going to sleep. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, it does help them to go to sleep, but they wake unrefreshed. So they have they sleep, but they don't sleep well. But that's a perfect drug for big pharma because that means that the next night you're going to need their drug to go to sleep again because you're so exhausted and you're going to wake up unrefreshed. So you're going to need their drug all the time. So the point is, is, is that in this case, the drug's side effect ends up being the reason that that particular drug is also being prescribed. But, you know, a side effect is, is an inappropriate because uh, drugs only have effects and we arbitrarily make reference to those effects of the drug that we like as the effects of the drug and those that we don't like we call side effects. But that's like a bomb, uh, a, a general ordering a bombing of a building and say, well, we really meant to just knock down the building. We, uh, the killing of the people is collateral damage or a, a side effect. And we didn't mean to do that, but you really can't separate out the, uh, the bombing of a building and the killing of people. It, it, it's all in the same thing. Right. It's like cost benefit. It's like, thank God we have antibiotics for when we need them because they're so important if you, you know, truly have an infection. But, you know, the damage, the side effect or the damage that it does to the gut, which, you know, leads to your your immune system lowering um, is there. So everything has, I guess, a cost and a benefit ratio that you need to look at when you're using it when it comes to um, pharmaceuticals. But do you think that part of the reason that there's so many naysayers um, around the use of homeopathy, and I, I wanted to ask you, I know that it was funny you were talking about the FDA, but I've read a few different articles, like probably over the last 10 years, I keep reading these articles that say that the FDA is trying to make homeopathy illegal in the United States. Um, but do you think the reason why there's so many people that you know take their time to like try to debunk homeopathy, I remember a couple of years ago, there was like a group of people in San Francisco that are like, homeopathy doesn't work. And so they like got like all these bottles of homeopathic medicines and they took like a thousand pellets of, you know, something, you know, and they're like, I don't feel anything. It doesn't do anything to me. So it must not work. Um, but do you think the reason that, you know, we're like culturally, we have this thing with homeopathy is because it's so cheap and effective. And, you know, is that the reason or, or do you think it's something else? There's really many reasons, but in history. In 1903, there was a, a member of the AMA who spoke for, uh, at an AMA conference, and he said this. He says, we never fought the homeopaths on matter of principle. We fought the homeopath because he came into our communities and got, our, got the business. And they have no sense that there have been literally hundreds of studies published in medical journals on homeopathy and one of the books that I wrote is even isn't even what we'd call a normal book. It's an ebook, and it's an ebook because it's the most up to date uh, body of information that explains what homeopathy is and describes how to use it to treat common ailments, along with reference to and description of the four hundred plus clinical trials that have existed on homeopathy and published in peer reviewed medical journals. God, I'd love to be on one of those chains where I was watching. You should, I would love to hear you do a debate with one of those one of those science nerds. That would be really fun. 
Um, and yeah. Dana, didn't you have something to do with making homeopathy legal in California or the United States? Is that correct? Well, no, yeah. Each of them is, each state is done differently. But okay. way back in 1976, I was arrested for practicing medicine without a license. And uh, we won an important court settlement. And it was a settlement, so it wasn't a decision. It didn't really change any laws, but it just uh, gave people an idea that, well, here's the way one court chose to deal with it. And then many years later, when Gray Davis was governor, before he was taken out of office, a homeopath in the South Bay treated a uh, high-tech millionaire in a way that cured him in a significant way. And the guy helped fund a effort to change the law. And so for the last 20 years or so, there's been a law in California that allows health practice as distinct from medical practice. Mm. And um, so that's how I practice today. Um, And, you know, I see my patients on uh, Zoom or Skype. Uh, so I can see people anywhere and they send them the medicine or tell them how they can get it locally. Um, and uh, this is really one of the great things about being in California, this law that does allow health practice, not just medical practice. Yeah. And it's so great. I mean, the thing is, you always want to always tell people like, I mean, you've been doing this for a really long time. And so obviously, you're an amazing homeopathic physician. Um, And I one time you and I met for tea or a juice or something. And I I just remember this. And I I think a naturopathic doctor came up to you and he was like, excuse me, are you Dana Ullman? And he was like, thank you so much for everything you've done for naturopathic medicine. So you're, you are a legend around these parts um, with what you do. And um, Dana, let me ask you, I know we don't have that much longer, but I think it'd be really interesting if you, like I have, I mean, I probably have so many homeopathic remedies, but if people, you know, there's kits that you can get that are home homeopathic remedy kits um, or even travel kits, which are great. Um, But what would be like your five top remedies to have at home and why? And just kind of briefly. Okay. Well, first, of course, has to be Arnica. Arnica is a remedy for shock and trauma of injury. So on one hand, it's for shock of injury. So if you get hit in the head, if you have a serious injury so that, you know, it's taking your breath away. Um, And one of the things that they teach you with Red Cross first aid is you know, stop the bleeding and, and treat for shock. So you have the person lie back down so that the blood uh, doesn't need to be pumped up into the brain. Um, and giving homeopathic arnica also helps to relieve the shock. And so it's also great for injuries to muscle and, and soft tissue. So sprains and strains the first the, at the first time of injury. So having that in your car is, and having it in your home is really important for any person, let alone any uh, family member. Uh, another remedy that uh, I would include in this group of five is a medicine called Ignatia. Ignatia is not Echinacea. Ignatia is I-G-N-A-T-I-A. And this is a medicine that we use for emotional shock and trauma. And it's usually from some type of breakup of a relationship. 
a loss of a loved one, whether it be a human being, whether it be a breakup of a partner, um, whether it be, um, you know, even uh, a family member that's of, a, of an animal species that uh, is hurt or is um, has been lost. So whenever there's emotional grief or loss, uh, Ignatia 30, uh, and I say 30, that's the potency. That means it was diluted one to 130 times. And uh, the amount of of uh, Ignatia left in the medicine is in really super nano doses. And it will not have any bad effect if it's not the right remedy. But if it is the right remedy, the body has a radar to be able to find that nano dose that will then elicit a healing response. So good old Ignatia would be no, another one. Okay. Then there's a medicine called Hypericum. And Hypericum we know is St. John's wort. And St. John's wort, uh, we know, is one of the great herbal remedies for depression. But we don't use it for depression and homeopathy. We use it for injuries to the nerves. So if you had crushed fingers, crushed toes, falls on the spine, or any injury with a shooting pain, hypericum is an important medicine to think about. Okay. In fact, one of the... Uh, British royals uh, named his, one of the kings named his prize racehorse Hypericum just because he had had so many good experiences using Hypericum himself and in treating different animals that had been a part of the royal household. I guess one other one, which will give you a sense of how homeopathy works, is homeopathic doses of coffee. And that that is, uh, all of our medicines we use the Latin name. So that's why Hypericum is the Latin name for St. John's wort. Uh, Arnica is both called uh, Arnica and it's called Mountain Daisy. It's in the Daisy family. And, um, uh, but coffee is known as Coffea. So it's very, it's C-O-F-F-E-A. And uh, we use coffee for the very symptoms that coffee is known to cause which is if you have a, a cup of coffee or a couple cups of coffee, you're wired, you're restless. You have, may even have insomnia. So, you know, it, it's like trying to get to bed after you've drunk a cup of coffee where your mind is, is going and your body's going. So this is not a remedy for insomnia where you have difficult going to sleep because you're worried about something specific or you've had a breakup of a relationship, or, or you're anxious about an exam, this is when you're trying to get to sleep, and for whatever reason, your mind is active and your body is active. And um, a homeopathic dose of coffee can do wonders. I've used that with my son, and it really, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's when you're just like tossing and turning, and your mind is just going, 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 and you feel kind of restless. And um, that, that remedy has really helped him before. I think I've taken that myself too. Yeah, it's so interesting. Maybe we could just uh, talk a little bit more about that, how the symptoms, you know, of the plant or the animal or whatever, the mineral that you're using 
um, you know, is actually what you're treating. So like, I love like, or I've read that the FDA was saying like for teething infants, like don't give them homeopathy because it ha- it might have heavy metals in them or something. No, but no, like- no, no. They were worried about belladonna. But the, oh. <laughs> the amount of belladonna that was in these capsules was so ridiculously small. This was the FDA absolutely screwing with homeopathy. Right. The number one homeopathic company in America was having a very popular teething tablet and the FDA wasn't allowing that. Right, exactly, which is so crazy. But the but the beautiful thing about like these plants and animals is, you know, like I've used apis before, for example, um, and it's something. What so what is apis? And what's the regular word for the plant of apis? It's not a plant. That that is, is crushed bee. It's oh, it bee. is actual bee. Yeah. So yeah. I've used that before for bee sting, and it's so interesting how well it works. It's kind of mind blowing. But if you were to get stung by a bee, it creates that symptom and you're using what naturally, like you said, would stimulate the immune system for your body to stimulate its own healing response, which is such exactly right. I love that. And then um, to end, Dana, um, I know that, you know, that we're not saying anything, any of these homeopathies cure anything like that, but for keeping our immune system strong, or I was just going to see if you wanted to give any more tips. You mentioned the thymuline, which I know I'm saying wrong. Um, the zinc, is there any, are there any other ones that are like top two for like flu or cough or are they, is that too risky to say? No, I will mention one for the flu. Okay. Because this is a, a, a medicine that I think most people know about. It, it, and it has one of the weirdest and most difficult names for a medicine that you could ever imagine. It's a medicine called Oscillococcinum. Uh, people sometimes call it Oscillo, O-S-C-I-L-L-O, and then it goes on from there. Here's the amazing thing. And the company doesn't like to tell people what it's made out of, which I think is a problem because once you tell people what it's made out of, it makes the most sense in the world. And Oscillococcinum is made from the liver and heart of a duck. I had no idea that's what it was. And the reason why is duck is a bird. You've ever heard of the bird flu? Yeah. Well, guess what? Ducks are known to carry every known influenza virus in their digestive tract. So they also have antibodies to them too. And so what ends up happening, ducks migrate from one part of the world to another. They poop, you know, from the sky. Little Johnny steps in the poop, takes off his shoe, goes to dinner, and by, by touching his shoe, he touched the poop, and then he eats some of the, the uh, virus, and he spreads it to his family. But, you know, if you will, I think of oscillococcinum is, is like chicken soup, but duck soup. Mm. And, and there's actually been multiple double-blind placebo-controlled trials showing that oscillococcinum does work. Uh, the trick to making it work most effectively is one, it's for the flu, it's not for the cold. Mm-hmm. Secondly, it's best if you use it within the first 48 hours of onset of the flu symptoms. And then when you do, you'll often find that that flu condition only lasted one or two days. It's very common for people to wake up the next day and then be over the flu. And then they scratch their head and say, well, I guess I didn't have the flu. No, you probably did. And this just got it over faster. 
So Dana, if you were going to use that, as, could you use it as a preventative? Like if you took a dose once a week or something like that, or do you just use it as soon as you have those symptoms no, coming no, on? You generally use it when you have symptoms coming on. Okay. But at, my, at my website, uh, which my website, I should make it clear, is yeah. easy to remember. It's homeopathic.com. So that's not homeopathy.com. It's homeopathic.com. And one of the, we have a protocol for flu defense. And what it, we use is a homeopathic dose of the four viruses that the World Health Organization has deemed to be in flu vaccines. And so that changes every year. And my company will be getting the next version sometime in October. And literally, believe it or not, just today we began formally accepting orders. So if you were to go to my website and do a search under the word influenza, you, you would find this protocol that we have for this five unit doses of the flu. Cool. I definitely want that. Oh, okay. I found, I'm on your website. I found it. Oh, I love that. Okay. That's great. Yeah. I think my son's pediatrician sells that too. I've used that a few oh, yeah. years ago. Oh, yeah. oh, that's so great. That's great for everybody. Um, that's really good information. Well, I, Dana, thank you so much for being on and sharing this information. There's so much more that I would love to ask you, but I know we've been a little bit over an hour now. Um, any last parting words before we cool. end the podcast? Well, you know, I want to encourage people, you know, there's one of my books called Everybody's Guide to Homeopathic Medicine, which was my first book. But at the same time, we, I wrote it with a physician colleague and we updated it many different times. One of the unique features of this book is, is that it gives guidelines for when you should go to a doctor. At what point are your symptoms serious enough that you even need to go to an emergency room? And then some other symptoms, well, you don't need to go to an emergency room, but if you have this symptom, you should go to a doctor within 24 hours. So you don't need to go right now, but you shouldn't dilly-dally. Mm -hmm. And then there are other symptoms that you don't need to go now. You don't even need to go in 24 hours. You should just get it checked out soon. Right. So if people can simply know the simple protocols for when you can and should go to doctors and when you don't need to, then you can apply and use a whole variety of different natural therapies because you're, you're not in any emergency zone. I love that. That is such a great resource. And that well, is so everybody's true. Guide to homeopathic medicines. And, uh, you know, I encourage people to check it out. Perfect. And the great thing about that, like I said, is that it's at least you're giving your body the opportunity to self-heal without side effects. And then if you need to go to the doctor, you need to, if for some reason it doesn't work, you can always do it. But it's a great, it's a great start that works a lot of the time. So I am so grateful for you and for homeopathy because I've it's helped me so much over the years. And it's one of the main medicines that I personally use. So I love it. It's a great way to stimulate our own immune systems and let our bodies do what they're meant to do. So thank you so much, Dana, for all the amazing work you do and like all of the knowledge that you share. I think it's amazing. Sometimes I'll be like, if I'm up late and I'll be searching something about homeopathy or something, your name always pops up because you've written so many articles. I'm like, oh, Okay, I should have just called him and asked him. But thanks for sharing <laughs> for sharing your wisdom. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure so will our listeners. So thank you so much. And you continue to feed the world your wonderful, healing, nurturing foods. Oh, thank you, Dana. Thank you for joining us at the You Are Love podcast. For more episodes just like this, please subscribe. This is Nika, and I'm wishing you a beautiful day.